If you brought a Bible, go with me, please, to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31 of the prophet Jeremiah's book, beginning at verse 3. We're so delighted that you could join us for the baptism ceremony this morning, and so glad for those who have began, begun their walk with Christ. There's no life like a life lived for God and with God. And this morning, we are, as the body of Christ, uh, celebrating uh, the end of our series called I Love My Church. And I want to ask you to read with me out of the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31. This message this morning is not going to be uh, as our usual format. I want to share with you and bring to your mind the five uh, core values of Kingsway Church. Five values which we as a church have adopted and believe to be uh, God's heart for us and for our city. And the first one we find here in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3. And the Lord appeared to him from afar, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Again, I will rebuild you. And you will be a rebuilt, you will be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. Again you will take up your tambourines and go forth to dance of the merrymakers. Again you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria, and the planters will plant and will enjoy them. For there will be a day when the watchmen on the hills of Ephraim will call out, Arise, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. Father, I thank you for your word, which is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I thank you for allowing me to be a part of this great church. And I pray today as we conclude this sermon series, that there would be joy in our hearts in the knowing that we are a part of the family of God. I pray your blessing upon the reading and the preaching of your word, and I pray as well that you would anoint the hearing of the congregation that in hearing the word they might be moved to fear of God and to action in their faith. I ask this in Jesus' name, and the church said a mighty amen. 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 You may be seated this morning as we discuss the five core values of our church. I believe that these are not just for our church, but really they're for every church. They are the essential teaching of the word of God and as we have discussed this all-important topic of the church, this morning I want to remind you that we began by saying that the church is a city on a hill whose light cannot be hidden. We also talked about the fact that the church is the house of prayer and that this is to be a place where prayer and supplication goes up before God on the, from the hearts of true believers. We talked about the fact that the church is the bride of Christ and as the bride of Christ that she is awaiting the return of the bridegroom and that she has a message for the world while she waits. We talked last week about the church being an embassy of heaven on earth. That This is a little spot where the earth should be able to encounter the kingdom of God. 
And there are some values that are true for our church and true for every believer. I'm going to go through them quickly. I know when you heard me say five, you thought long sermon. But I'm going to try to make uh, five long points real quick for you, all right? Now, so don't panic. I'll get you out in time for lunch, Lord willing. Um, but you wouldn't mind anyway. So um, I, I want to just remind you that every one of these values begins with the word everyone. Because the gospel that we preach is for everyone. I would have a great degree of trouble if the gospel that I had been called to preach was only for a select few. Or for a particular race of men or a particular class of men. Or only for men and not for women. Or for the poor and not for the rich. Or for the rich and not for the poor. Or for the educated and not for the uneducated. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is not such a message. It is a message that God has given to everyone. A message, an invitation which is wide open to all those who will receive it. So when I speak today, I want you to know when I use the word everyone that I'm talking about you without exception. I'm talking about your family without exception. I'm talking about our city without exception. Because I believe that God has a great plan and a great purpose for us. And anyone who will follow in obedience to Christ can enjoy that plan and that purpose. This is the first core value of our church. We believe that everyone is loved. This is an absolute here as a, as a church because it is an absolute in the word of God. I've read to you the words of the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah. He said, I have called him from afar, saying. I have appeared to him from afar and he has made a message, a declaration. And this is that declaration from God. I think if you think about what would God say to me this morning? If you were tuned in to hear the voice of God, what would God be saying to you this morning? I can assure you, friend, that this message that he gave to Jeremiah is true for you this morning. He said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. The love of God is an everlasting love. It is an unconditional love. And he says to the church, he says through the church to the world, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. The book of Romans reminds us that it is the kindness of God that leads men to repentance. The scripture tells us in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Did you know that love has to be demonstrated? Love has to be expressed. If there is genuine love in the heart of a person sooner or later, that love will be demonstrated. How did God demonstrate his love toward us? The Bible says that he did so by having his son die for us. While we were yet sinners, while we were still strangers without hope and without God in the world, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I pray for you that, that I might be able to persuade you by the preaching of the word of the love of God for you. There are many who feel unloved, who feel unlovable, who feel as though their past has discarded their future. 
who feel as though the love of God is not able to reach them. But I want to tell you, friend, that there is a power so great that humanity has yet to, ex to find its end or its depth. It is the unending love of God toward you. And I want you to become persuaded of this fact that God loves you. You ought to walk daily in the knowledge of this fact that you are loved by God. Here at Kingsway Church, we believe this, that every person in the city of Beeville is the object of divine affection, that you are the object of divine love. But pastor, there are some people in our community who are unlovable, who have a bad, bad past, who have a broken and fractured history, people who have committed crimes or people who have a mental problem or people who have a, 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 a challenge against everyone. They walk around with a chip on their shoulder, friend. They are yet the object of divine affection. And as I say these words this morning, I pray that you will remember from where God drew you out, from that place of brokenness and despair with fractured past and problems following you. But there was the grace of God and the love of God extended toward a sinner and he saved you by his grace. Somebody ought to give God praise for that this morning. To be loved by God. You are the object of divine affection, the object of divine compassion. You can know the love of God. You can know it personally, and you can know it intimately, and you can know him today. You'll put your trust in his son, Jesus Christ. This is our message to the world, that God loved the world, and that his love is toward the vilest of sinners the most broken and the most abused, the most uh, destructive life is not yet outside of the love of God. This morning, if you have felt as though you are unlovable, I want to remind you that there is a God in heaven who loved you and he demonstrated that love at the cross. I have loved you with an everlasting love. The second core value of our church is that we believe that everyone is valuable. We not only believe that everyone is loved by God, but we believe that everyone is valuable to God and that everyone is valuable to us. When we train our staff around here, I tell them I want you to treat everyone who comes into the door of Kingsway Church as though they were the Lord himself coming into the door of our church because you are valuable to God. The Bible said that you were created in the image of God. In spite of what Darwin may say, in spite of what so many may claim, you are not the product of a chance and random act of, of, uh, of, of, of uh, human nature, but rather you are the product of the creation of Almighty God. You were made in the image and likeness of God. Do you know when God created the Son, He said, this is good. When God created the earth, he said, this is good. When God created the creatures in the air and the, and the creatures in the sea, he said, this is good. But when he created man, he said, this is very good. He added the word very. 
to his good. So when you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning, I want you to say, this is very good. This is something that God made in his image and likeness. Somebody ought to get excited this morning. The Bible asks the question, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? The value of a human soul is far above all of the value of all of the treasures that the human, that the earth can provide. And see, here is the deception in this. Now when you try to gain the world, you run into a problem. Nobody gets everything. No one can gain the whole world. Sin will lie to you. The world and, and the flesh will lie to you and tell you you can get it all. Just cash in your soul. And so, friend, you will discover that nobody gets it all. Nobody can have it all outside of God. And the worst of it is that as much of it as you can get, when you die, you can't take it with you. You know, I have done many funerals as a pastor of this church. I have yet to go to a funeral where the U-Haul followed the hearse to the gravesite. I have yet to see a moving truck take anything uh, toward that gravesite. I have yet to see the dead have a, a trunk full of gold or silver. Nothing can go with you when you die. The most valuable part of you is your eternal soul. And God has put a, a price on that soul. He has demonstrated the value of a soul. How do you know the value of a thing? Well, you can know the value of a thing by how much someone is willing to exchange in order to get it. Well, there has been an exchange made for your soul. And that exchange was made at the cross 2,000 years ago when God sent his son to die for sinners. And he exchanged the priceless lamb of God for the sinner's soul. That's how much you are worth to God. And that's how much you are worth to us this morning. You are valuable to God. And I want to challenge you this morning because I believe that you were created for more. I know for sure that you were created for more than just to come to church on Sunday morning, sing a few hymns, and go have lunch. I know you were created for more than that. And I know that you were created for more than just settling for what life hands you and settling for what life gives you. Some people have said, you know, God is boring. Serving the Lord is boring. And they have learned to settle for a boring spiritual existence. But you know what I think? I think God is bored with them. It's not that they are bored with God. It's that God is bored with them. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning who God might be bored with. They don't pray prayers that require any faith. They haven't given an offering that required any sacrifice. They haven't taken any steps of faith for God. Just living a boring spiritual life. And then they say, this is so boring. 
Well, it's boring because you have not engaged your spiritual life on the level that God created you to engage it. You see, friend, you and I were not put here on the earth so that we could simply exist and endure until heaven. We were put on the earth to bring heaven to earth, to manifest the glory of God in our generation and in our day. And you and I must take, to take for granted that this is God's purpose for us. And so if you are rarely in worship and you pray courtesy prayers and you give almost nothing, I challenge you this morning. Pastor, you're getting in my face. I know I do it so infrequently. I figured I would do it this morning. But I challenge you this morning to decide I was made for more than that. I was made to glorify God so that if I am going to serve him, and I'm going to serve him with all of my might. Love the Lord your God with all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your heart. This is a, a commitment of the whole man to the whole purpose of God. Some of you are settling in life for just some job, just some guy, just some girl, just some relationship just some fun. You're settling for the bottom of the barrel. You're settling for life's easiest things. And I want to challenge our teenagers today not to settle, not to just go with the easy route of the sin nature. Strive. Strive toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You were made for more and you can live a glorifying life for God. Number two, number three, this third value is just as important as the others. We believe that everyone can be blessed. Do you believe that this morning? Everyone can be blessed without exception. You say, Pastor, what is the blessing of God? Well, I'll give you three quick definitions. The blessing of God is the favor of God on your life. What is favor? It's when God gives you an advantage. That's a blessing. Somebody was more qualified than you to get that job, but God gave you favor, and you got that job. That is a blessing. Say amen. Some of you have experienced moments in life when you should not have gotten an advantage. But because God is gracious, he blessed you, he gave you an advantage, and he, he showed you that he was on your side. The blessing, number two, the second definition, is the supernatural power of God working for you to accomplish the will of God. The supernatural power of God working for you. It's like God putting his hand at your back and gently pushing you forward, gently pushing you into that next arena. I heard the story of a king who called all the men in his city together, and he said to them, they were standing around this pool of water, he said, the man that swims across this crocodile-infested pool will be given my daughter in marriage, he will be given millions of dollars as a, as a dowry, and he shall sit at my table, and he shall eat delicacies 
saw the days of his life. And suddenly a man jumped into that pool and swam across the shark, uh, those uh, uh, crocodile-infested waters and came to the other side. And the king was delighted at this fact. He said, sir, what do you want first? Do you want the bride? Do you want the money? Or do you want the advantages? He said, what I want is I want to know who pushed me into the water. I'm here this morning to push you in, to tell you that you can have the blessing of God. I want to know, I want to know if you believe this, that God wants to bless me. It's not going to come on a silver platter. You're going to have to swim across some rivers sometimes. But I want you to know it. I can be blessed. Deuteronomy 39, 30 verse 9 says, The Lord delights in blessing you. How many of you, you have children, you delight in blessing your children, right? Jesus said, if you being wicked know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to you? He'll give you the Holy Spirit. Friend, now what is Jesus saying? He's saying, if you and I, having a sin nature, can delight in blessing somebody else how much more our father who has said to us surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life that is the blessing of God when you're going into a new sphere of life look over your shoulder and say goodness and mercy let's go we're walking into a new job we're walking into a new house we're walking into a new business venture but surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life God has called this church to raise the poor out of the ash heap and to cause them to sit with princes that is our mandate as a church to bring people into the blessing of God. That means that if today you're on welfare, you don't have to live the rest of your life on welfare. That God can bless you up and out of those circumstances. That's what I believe for you as your pastor. That you don't have to stay where Jesus found you. The call of God in Christ Jesus is always an upward call. He's always moving you onward toward his purpose for your life. The Bible said that God is able to make all grace abound to you. That always, always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have abundance. Say that with me. God wants to bless me. Now, if you, if you kind of grew up in the other kind of religious thinking that said that you're supposed to be poor and you're supposed to have nothing and you're supposed to be happy about it, I want to challenge that this morning. God is a blesser. We end every service in Kingsway Church by praying a blessing over you. That's the third definition, that a blessing is a prophetic utterance that defines your life. The blessing is a spoken word, a prophetic utterance that defines your life. One day, I, I was praying the blessing over the church. This was, I think, my first year as a pastor here. I said, Lord, if there's anyone that needs a job, give them a job this week. That, jo that week, a, a, a young man came to me. He said, Pastor, wouldn't you know it? I needed a job, and I found a job on Monday. He said, when I heard you say that, I said, 
pastor is on it today. I thought I was on every day, but that day he's, he thought I was on. It was a prophetic utterance that defined those circumstances for that man. The blessing of God has that kind of power. And God wants to bless your life. So I want you to begin to practice this with me. I want you to just start defining the things in your life by the blessing of God. When you walk through, when you drive through town, bless the city of Beville. You remember our slogan, God bless Beville? When you come into our city, pray a blessing over Beville. When you drive by the nightclubs and bars in our city, say, God bless Beville. Bless the people in there, Lord. Let them see the light. Let them see that there's a better way. When you walk by a house uh, 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 where you know that not so many good things are happening, pray a blessing over that place and watch that God will fulfill his word in our city. Beville shall be blessed. I said, Beville shall be blessed. If we are the church of Jesus Christ in this city, then we must bless this city. And if we want to see Beville turned around back toward God, it's going to begin with the people of God being convinced of this fact. God loves Beville and God wants to bless Beville. Our next core value, number four. This one is just as important. We believe that everyone can live in victory. I'm going to give you another chance. I said we believe that everyone can live in victory. You know the church is the winningest team in human history. The church has when the church walks by faith, she is a victorious church. We believe that everyone can live in victory. When I preach a sermon, I preach knowing that what I am teaching can cause victory to come into your life. If I don't believe that, I might as well go sell insurance or do somebody something else. Because this word is power. This word is able to transform your life. And I believe with my whole heart that every believer in Jesus Christ can live in spiritual victory. I do not believe that you have to live with your old habits and your old ways your whole life. Because the Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And new means different. And different means I don't have to live the way I used to live. I don't have to think the way I used to think. I don't have to walk the way I used to walk. I don't have to love the things I used to love. Because I have a new life. And that life is a victorious life. Romans 8.37 But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Uh, the older King James translation says In all of these things we are more than conquerors. Through, through him who loved us. Do you know what it means to be more than a conqueror? I told you God wanted you to be blessed, right? Well, spiritual victory is a blessing. Tell me it isn't. You used to have to have a fix in order to get through the day, but you don't need that anymore. It's, it's a blessing. More than conquerors. What is more than conquerors, pastor? When, when a warrior goes out to battle and he wins the battle, he is a conqueror. 
takes his prize, the spoils of his conquest, and he goes home and he shares those spoils with his children. They didn't have to fight for it. But they are enjoying the victory. They are now more than a conqueror. For you see, a conqueror has to fight for it. A more than conqueror just has to enjoy the victory. You and I have a champion. We have a warrior who 2,000 years ago went to the cross and he won the victory for us through his bloodshed at the cross. He is the conqueror. You and I are his children. We are more than conquerors. We are sitting at his table eating the blessings that he has provided through his victory. So this morning I challenge you to remind yourself of that every day. I am more than a conqueror. Victory is God's plan for my life. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you could continue to live in the bondage of sin. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who gives us the victory. And then we have one more. 1 John 5, 4. It says everyone born of God overcomes the world. Can I say that again? Everyone born of God. Have you been born of God? Are there any new, new, are there any newborn people in the house? Born again. Anybody? Raise your hand if you're born again. I remember I had a, a friend in the Methodist church when I was growing up. I said, hey, how's the new pastor? He said, oh, man, it's not so great. He's one of those born again types. I thought being born again was a prerequisite, but apparently he was one of those born again types. Are there any born again types in here this morning? You have experienced a new birth, a transformation of life. Listen to the word of God this morning. Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. Not most of us. Not some of us, not the super saints. Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. We could put it like this. Everyone who is born of God overcomes sexual sin. Everyone who is born of God overcomes depression. Everyone who is born of God overcomes fear. Everyone who is born of God overcomes shame. Everyone who is born of God overcomes addiction. Everyone who is born of God overcomes poverty. Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. Somebody ought to give God thanks for that promise from his word. So you got to know that. If you're born again, then you have access to victory. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Where is the victory for you this morning? In your faith. If you want to live a victorious Christian life, you will find it only when you put your faith in the finisher of the work, who is Jesus Christ. He is the one that guarantees overcoming victory to the believer. And I'm looking this morning at some folks who have overcome. You have stared down the worst that, that life could throw at you and you have overcome because of your faith. I want to just share a brief story with you. When I was a college student at DBU, 
I was uh, on one particular semester for no reason at all. I came under a, a spirit of depression, the best I could figure. I walked around for weeks. It seemed as though on the edge of tears. A, a mourning in my soul. There was no need for it. I hadn't lost a loved one. I hadn't, I hadn't gone through any kind of serious physical condition. I had not uh, experienced any tragedy in my life. There was just a depression lingering over my soul, a dark cloud. And many of you have experienced that. One day I was sitting in philosophy class and Dr. Noggle was teaching and I, I couldn't pay any attention to what he was saying. I was so overwhelmed by this thing. And finally I came to tears while I was sitting in class. It's nothing Dr. Noggle said. I just could not hold back the sorrow in my soul. I left the, the classroom embarrassed. I went down the little prayer room we had there on, on the, in the library of the campus. And I closed the door. I knelt down and I said, God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross to give me victory over this thing. I don't know what this is, but I know that it isn't from you. I'm asking you to lift it off of me this morning. And the grace of God rained down on my life that morning without a counselor, without a pastor to talk to, without anyone else to share in my, in my affliction. God reached down and comforted me by his spirit and he raised up that depression and he gave me overwhelming victory that I have enjoyed to this day. I'm telling you that everyone who is born of God overcomes. final value of our church is that everyone has a ministry. We believe that everyone is loved. We believe that everyone is valued. We believe that everyone can be blessed. We believe that everyone can live in victory. And we believe that everyone has a ministry. You see, the American church has gotten it mixed up. We've begun to believe that the pastor and the elders and the praise leaders are the ministers and we all come to church to get ministered to. But that's not the pattern of the New Testament. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians that the Lord gave to the church the fivefold ministry, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor and the teacher and that these gifts were given for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the work of the ministry. Now you follow that. The fivefold ministry was given not to do the ministry, but to equip the church for ministry. My job as your pastor is to equip you to do the ministry. You can pray for the sick. You can bring deliverance. You can bring a word of hope to someone in crisis. You can bring a word of counsel to someone in need. You are able to do the work of the ministry because God has uniquely equipped each one of you with specific gifts that will enable you to do and to fulfill his purpose for your life. This is without exception. Everyone has a ministry. Everyone has a place in the body of Christ where they can serve. Not everyone 
has the same function. We do not all do the same job. Imagine if we were all preachers. The body needs but one mouth. Okay, you got a pastor. That's the mouth right there. But do you know that there are hands and there are feet? There is a heart. There is a, a, a group of systems working in the body to accomplish the purpose of God for your life. And friends, the church of Jesus Christ has limited its effect because we're constantly wanting to get ministered to. And friends, here's the deal. You do not put gas in a parked car. If you're not going to serve, what do you need gas in your tank for? The anointing flows where there's service, where there's ministry. When you and I get involved in the ministry, we get involved in doing the work of God, whether we have a, a license to do so or not, not the point. When you and I begin to operate in the gifts that God has put in our life, the anointing flows toward that work. But if you're not going anywhere, there's no need to put gas in the car because it's not going anywhere. It's stuck. I want to get some of you unstuck this morning. Now, I'm going to ask you to pardon me for the crudeness of this analogy, but we all have been in this situation at least once, I think, so you'll understand it. Now, have you ever been on a really long road trip? On one of those stretches of highway that seemed to last forever, and you needed to stop for the restroom. You ever been there? And that rest area can't come soon enough. And then you go miles and miles and miles. You finally find one. You make your way in, and what does it have on the door but a little sign that says, out of order. You kind of felt your flesh rise up there for a second, right? Out of service. There are many people in need of what you have. But many times they come to the door of the church and they find a little announcement that says, out of service. Some have says, out of service since 1962 when sister so-and-so offended sister so-and-so and they have not served anybody ever again. People get out of service for every kind of reason that you can imagine. They didn't like what someone said. They weren't recognized the way they thought they should have been. And on and on it goes. And friends, the church in America cannot afford to be out of service. If the, if the nation ever needed the church, it's today. If America ever needed the church, it's right now. These are days that are critical. We cannot be out of service. The world needs what you have. There are people dying and going to an 
eternal separation from God in hell every day for lack of the preaching of the word of God and the demonstration of the love of God to the kindness of the church. You and I must make it our responsibility to say, I will serve the Lord. I will do what God has called me to do. I speak this morning to preachers who are not preaching. You're out of service. God has called you to preach, sir. How long will you put off his calling? Speaking to ministers of the word of God who have laid down your gifts, I charge you in the name of Christ to present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable service. Today, God calls out to us as a church. He says, you have a ministry. Let us labor to do that ministry so that when Christ comes, Ask for an accounting of our life. We might say to him, I have done what you sent me to do. I have done what you commanded me to do. For Jesus said, blessed is he, blessed is that servant who when his master comes shall find him doing what he commanded. This morning, we believe that everyone is loved. Everyone is valuable. Everyone can be blessed. Everyone can live in spiritual victory. And everyone can serve the Lord. And that if we do those things, we shall find ourselves being in a fruitful season for this church and for the kingdom of God.